0: Campbell, thank you so much uh, for those kind words i know they have been strange weeks but uh, not to say much about it other than to say it it's it's my privilege and it is that privilege to serve and to serve the church uh, and to bring to the table anything we can in every situation we find ourselves in the lord said he would build his church amen And he's still doing that, praise his name. So it's been a privilege to serve and help uh, in in any way that I could. We're going to read God's word this morning, Exodus chapter 15. I want you to turn to that and we'll read together from verse 1 in a little moment. I was listening to Davy's announcement and... uh, really interesting theme as you move into a new season in all the departments of the church. Good to see them all kicking back into gear again. Interesting theme, Davey, Sixty and over and what it's like to experience that. Uh, Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of people here could give you tips on, you know, I'm not there yet, but on what that feels like, but I've been, it's been in my mind ever since you said it. And I was thinking, you know, as well as dressing up, we could arrange to have a few people there to shave a few heads. We'll let you experience what it feels like uh, for hair to go. Um, I was thinking about other things that we could administer some aches and pains. Okay, that would, that would be good. Um, if we could give you something to let you know what it feels like to walk from one room in the house into another room and not know why you went there. <laughs> Um, uh, throw in a little bit of memory loss. So we'll try and add to the experience in any way uh, that we can. But I know you'll have a, a really, really good night. It has been really good to, uh, to work over the past few weeks and months with Davey and to, to see his ministry come forward. And we are excited about what God is doing in his life and with Kelsey as well and into their future together. Let's read God's word. Exodus chapter 15. We're picking up the story of Exodus and we're picking it up after the great deliverance at the, at the Red Sea. And it says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And they spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, and the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he is cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them and they sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath, which consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap and the depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue and I will overtake and I will divide the spoil. My desire will be satisfied in them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your wind and the sea covered them and they sank like lead in the mighty waters." Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Palistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed and the mighty men of Moab trembling Will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Cana will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. And by the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Just two more verses. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out before her with timbrels and with dancing and Miriam answered them sing to the Lord sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and its rider he is thrown into the sea you know this is an amazing story the story of the Exodus and if you read the first 14 chapters of Exodus those chapters are full of surprises and full of exciting things which happen along the way. A man by the name of Moses turns his back on wealth and power. One of the most powerful positions in the world of that time. He turns his back on it all to follow God. We hear a story of a, of a bush which is burning. And God speaks from it. A bush which burns but isn't consumed. We hear stories about staffs turning into serpents. Awesome displays of God's power and God's might and dominion. And then we read about a sea which has miraculously parted and the people of God go through. Amazing things. Verse after verse after verse. And then we come to chapter 15. And chapter 15 has no surprises whatsoever. Just praise for all that God has done. An amazing out Pouring, an amazing release, a beautiful expression of worship and praise and singing and dancing and thanksgiving to the God who has brought his people through. Now we would be surprised very much so if they hadn't done that. But I want to say to you this morning that this chapter is more significant than we really believe it is, and it's full of teaching for the church in our day and age. And some stuff I just want to unpack this morning from it, about praising God. I want us to think, first of all, about this song of Moses and the praise that the people brought to God in this instance of deliverance. I want us to think, first of all, about the content of Moses' song. You see, it appears here in scripture and it's one of the oldest recorded songs on record anywhere. It's a worship song, a sacred song. And whenever you read through it and you study it and you look at it, it's different in every way from the songs that they would have sung to their gods in Egypt. It's different from the the songs or sacred songs or worship songs that we get in India or Greek songs or any of those. It stands out as superior and authentic in so many ways. Because when we begin to see what they sang to God, There isn't presented to us the idea that you get from many other cultures, the idea of many gods or polytheism. You don't get the idea that the gods that are being worshipped are somehow like humans. There's no foolish mythological stories about the gods and their mistresses and the goddesses and the rivalry and the fighting and the intrigue between them and their offspring and the the fights that go on amongst the gods that we get in Greek literature or anything like that. There's just a clear presentation of the personality of, the supremacy, the power, and the holiness of the God, the one true God that Israel worships, the God who has created all things, the one who is the true and the living God who has revealed himself, first of all to Abraham, and then to Abraham's descendants who found themselves as slaves in Egypt, who have been brought out as the nation of Israel and raised up as the people of God. And we get this outpouring of praise and we get the clarity of the God that they worship. Unlike what we read about the gods or the worship of the gods in any other culture. And there's something which is very authentic and very real about the worship of this nation even at this stage. Something which should bring great confidence to us this morning as the people of God. Because you and I know that our faith this morning flows out of Judaism. And from this very same nation, the God who created the universe and the God who controls all things, that very same God brought into our world the Messiah, the one true Savior of the world, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And those statements in themselves are very exclusive. And as the people of God with our faith descended from Judaism, we should have confidence this morning in the God that we worship. And our gospel is exclusive. And in a day and age when the faiths of the world compete for equality in the marketplace, I want to tell you there is only one God. There is only one mediator between God and man. There is only one way of salvation. His name is Jesus. And everything else is inferior in every way. Now you may sit this morning and say, what a harsh statement. Friends, I want to tell you that our world needs to hear that message again. In love they need to hear it. Don't get me wrong. Not in a harsh way. But if we care about people, if the love of God dwells in us at all, then the love of God will compel us to deliver the one message that can bring people into a saving experience with the God who created them and with the God to whom they will answer. And we should be filled with confidence this morning when we read this very first song of praise because there's something very authentic about it. Something very solid about it. Something very reliable about it. Okay, I'll make it up in here and we'll try and spit it out as we go. Something very reliable about it. And it should fill us and inspire us with confidence this morning. Think about the content of this song. And you can go home and you can look at it. The content, it's about God from start to finish. The word Lord is mentioned 12 times in 18 verses in this song of praise. The pronouns, he, him, thy, thou, and thee, are mentioned 33 times. Jehovah is the theme and the very center of their song all the way through. And I tell you, our focus needs to be on him, and he needs to be the theme of our song this morning. He needs to be at the very heart of our praise. I love worship. I love coming in here on a Sunday morning. I love the energy of this team and I love the way that they bring us into the presence of God in the place of worship. Do You know, we, we hear a lot of criticism sometimes today of, of some of the new songs and some of the new worship. I want to say to you there are some remarkable things being written by songwriters today under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for them. And it's not a case of that we we choose only the old or we choose the new. We need that wonderful balance of both. But I thank God for much of the new material that's been written. It's theologically sound. It's been prayed over. And there's no doubt it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yes, there's some stuff around. And the focus is too much upon us and not upon God. But you know, it's always been that way. Somehow, we, if we see any new song like that, we think that all new worship, it's all going to pot. Folks, the Holy Spirit is in control of the church. The Holy Spirit's still inspiring worship and giving songs as he has always done. And you know, sometimes when we see a song that's not so good with, in modern worship, we, we tend to write off sometimes the whole thing, and that is not the case. I can tell you, some of the older stuff had that same wrong emphasis. Some of the older stuff wasn't all that good. There's some new stuff around it, maybe not worth singing, but there's old stuff that's not worth singing either. It really is. I was thinking about something that I heard uh, back a year ago. You know that, there's an old chorus, and here are the words of it. It's an old chorus, not a new one. Um, it isn't any trouble just to S-M-I-L-E. It isn't any trouble just to S-M-I-L-E. You can pack up all your troubles and they'll vanish like a bubble if you'll only take the trouble to (laughs) S-M-I-L-E. Come on, folk. When Jeff Lucas quoted that, he said it's enough to make you (laughs) (laughs) V-O-M-I-T. So there's old that wasn't worth singing either. And what we need always in the church is to take those things that have been inspired by the Holy Spirit. There are old classics we never want to lose sight of. But... At the same time, we don't want to miss what the Holy Spirit is speaking and giving to the church today. And it's that combination of old and new. Jesus spoke about those who teach who bring out things old and they bring out things new because the church is alive in the power of the Spirit. But the message is this. The content of their song, this first recorded song of praise, the content of it, God was at the very center. God was constantly the focus and he needs to be the focus in our worship for moses and these people they had experienced god and they were going to exalt him they were going to praise him they were going to lift up his name and if you look through some of these verses they just can't do enough to exalt and to put words to praising god and that was the content it was totally god-centered they sang about what god had done in verses 1 6 and 10 They sang about who he was in verses 3 through to 11. And they sang about what he was yet going to do in verses 14 through to 18. And if there's some budding would-be worship songwriters here this morning, take note of that. God was the center of it. The purpose of that worship was to to capture the minds of the people and bring them together as one body to offer an expression of praise that would bring glory to God. And that's what our praise and our worship and our singing ought to be all about. That was the content. I want you to think about the timing of the song because this chapter set where it is in scripture is amazingly significant. See, this great expression of praise it didn't come to God had totally saved Israel out of the hand of the Egyptians and the Egyptians were dead on the seashore. Now that doesn't mean that God's telling us we should never praise him until all our problems are dealt with, no. But there's a reason why this song doesn't come until this moment in their experience. It's only after their enemy has been obliterated and the Egyptians are dead on the seashore that they offer this song of praise to God. Up to that point, the Bible says they sighed, they groaned, they cried, they murmured, they did everything. But all of that is going to be no longer. All of that had occupied their thinking up to then, and they were occupied with themselves. But in this situation, at this moment, they are totally captivated with the Lord, totally captivated with his power, his glory, the victory that he has won, the victory that they have entered into through him. And they are going to bring their praise and worship to God. What brought about this change? From being focused just purely upon them to this total focus upon God. Two things, and I want you to catch this as we go through. Two things brought them to this place. First of all, the Passover blood had been shed as they were preparing to come out of Egypt. Blood had been shed. And then they had been brought out under that blood, protected, placed under that blood, protected from the judgment of God, brought out. And now at the Red Sea, we get this amazing demonstration of the power of God. This, this miracle, which kind of became the measuring rod, the yardstick for the demonstration of God's power in Old Testament times. So we have bloodshed, and they're protected from the judgment of God, onto the blood that was shed, the blood of the Passover lamb. Then they're brought out, and they come to the edge of the Red Sea, and there's this amazing demonstration of God's power, which brings them full and complete and final deliverance. He says in verse 2, or the song says in verse 2 of chapter 15, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. They'd already had a deliverance from Egypt, but full salvation, that full deliverance didn't come until the enemy was dead in the seashore. When they stood by the Red Sea and they saw the bodies, they knew that this deliverance was complete. Their enemy was defeated. The work that God was doing was completely finished. And then the redeemed of the Lord started to sing. Do you know that this is the first recorded song of worship in scripture. And that is significant. It comes after the Passover and the demonstration of God at the Red Sea. And then the Holy Spirit decides to record this first song of worship in the word of God. After the blood was shed and after the amazing demonstration of God's God's power on behalf of his people, then the redeemed of the Lord start to sing. I don't know if you see any parallels between those two things and their experience and our experience as believers, but I want to say this to you this morning. We are meant to sing. Folks, we are meant to be praising God this morning. We are meant to be calling upon God, the Holy Spirit, in such a way that our experience of salvation never grows old that we never get accustomed to it. We're meant to be living in an experience that is fresh and new, even through the trials, that the presence of God, the reality of his saving grace, his redemptive power in our lives is such that we are given a constant expression of praise to God. We are meant to sing today because the blood has been shed, the ransom price has been paid. That took place at the cross But that wasn't the end of what God did for us because on the third day, our Redeemer rose again. After the blood was shed, there was a demonstration of God's power. Death was defeated. Hell was defeated. The devil was defeated once and for all. His power over your life and mine ultimately and eternally broken once and for all. And then the redeemed are meant to sing. And as the church sitting at this point in history, I tell you, we are meant to constantly be lifting our praise to God. The redeemed are meant to sing. The blood has been shed. There is exhibited to us a powerful demonstration of God's power when he raised Jesus from the dead. And it takes both things to bring us full salvation. The blood was shed for our forgiveness. But we need to not only be ransomed, but ransomed and redeemed. Let me explain what I mean. You see, in its fullest sense, to be redeemed, it means to be completely delivered, to be brought out, the bringing out of the ones for whom the ransom price is. Has been paid. That's what happened at the Red Sea. They had been protected under the blood, they had been brought out, but at the Red Sea, this demonstration of God's power meant that they were cut off forever from their enemies. And in salvation, that is what has happened for you and for me. Yes, the blood has dealt with our sin, but by the resurrection, I tell you, the cross without the resurrection. Would bring no assurance, no certainty, in a sense, it would be meaningless. But our risen Savior fills us with confidence that the offering which he brought to the Father has been fully, has been completely accepted, that you and I have been ransomed, we have been redeemed, that the enemy has been once and for all ever defeated. The Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He lives by the power of an endless life, and he represents us in the presence of God the Father, and the work is complete. Amen? The work has been done. And then the singing really ought to begin. The two things together, the blood and the power. Then the redeemed start to praise God. Can I say to you this morning, it's our job to sing. It's our job to open our mouths and express our praise and our thanksgiving to God. And I've never been one for crazy church or anything like that. I believe things need to be done decently and in order. And the scripture instructs us in that way. But why are we so reserved about praising God? God who has created all things. And in spite of the fact that we threw all of his grace and his goodness and his love back in his face, he cared enough to come and redeem us and to set us free. He has completely defeated the enemy on our behalf. And we ought to loosen up a little bit and begin to praise the name of the Lord. We ought not to be afraid to sing out, whether we can sing all that well or whether we can't. The Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And I see in every area of life, it's acceptable to be excited. We can be excited about sport. We can be excited about our hobby. We can be excited about a thousand other things. But when it comes to God and when it comes to church, we put on the totally reserved hat. And I know some people are sitting thinking, well, you know, it's just my personality. Is it really? Really? Folks, I I have never met a Christian who hasn't been excited about something in their life probably more than they get excited about God. And you know when you engage people in conversation what really excites them because once you touch the thing that, they're, that they really love in their heart, they just explode. They begin to talk about it. They begin to speak about how, how much joy it brings them, how much they enjoy doing this or doing that. And then we come to church and we put the reserved hat on and we dumb it all down. I tell you, our God is worthy to be praised. There should be a song in the hearts of the people of God and there should be a song within the church that says something about the God that we serve. It says something about the God that we worship. It says something about the victory He has brought us into and the experience He has brought to us. And we need to stop being afraid of man and start to lift our voice. And I'm not just talking about our expression in singing. One of my great concerns today uh, in Pentecostal churches, not just within Elam, but right across the board in places I speak, I thank God for the the music and all that we have today and, and praise God for all of that. But I do get concerned that the moment the music stops, the people of God have no more praise left in them. Folks, when the music stops, we should be letting loose in our praise to God. You need to lose the fear of the person in the seat next to you and not be afraid to begin to worship God and express your worship and express your praise unto Him and allow that worship and that praise to flow on beyond the song. Sometimes I try to remind the ministers today, that we are not Pentecostal just based upon the, the instruments that we have on the platform. We are only Pentecostal if we're Pentecostal in experience. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within us, filling, filling us, and there should be praise onto God. Now some people are sitting saying, well I'll never be able to do that. Oh, lighten up a wee bit. And some people think if I were to praise God like that, that would be some terrible thing you'll be okay, don't worry. The heavens won't crash in if you, if you begin to express your praise to God. I had a, an old aunt, she's with the Lord now, wasn't brought up in Pentecost, but I had an uncle who became a Christian very late in life. And he took her along to a service one Sunday evening, and, and um, that wasn't her background all the way through her life. Um, She would be brought up in in the brethren and praise God for the brethren and their teaching. I'm not saying anything about that in any way. But when she came home from the service, she phoned my mother and she was in a total state of panic. And she says, called my mother by her name. She says, Hannah, I have done something tonight. And and she was really quite distraught. And my mother said, what's wrong? She said, I went to a service with our brother tonight. And she said, when we were singing, she said, I lifted my hands up. Folks, you talk about bondage all your life. Bible says lifting up holy hands. The freedom to express our worship. The freedom to sing unto the Lord and to bring him that expression of praise. And it's our job to sing, to show him glory. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, We are a chosen generation we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, we're that for sure, um, that we should show forth the praises of him who has brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is our job to sing, and it's our job to praise. Do you know something? Do you know that the Bible never gives us a shred of evidence that angels sing. Now I know some of you Bible scholars, Your heads away now. You are searching through every book right through the Bible. And you're going, oh, I read it somewhere. Yeah, I've got them now. I've got them. Job 38 and verse 7 says they shout. Luke chapter 2, it speaks about them declaring and praising. Revelations chapter 5, again it speaks about them saying and the declaring. But it's the redeemed that sing. And this is the first praise song in Scripture. And that's why it is so significant. Now, don't stone me, okay? You may have passages of Scripture which speak about angels singing in your translation of the Bible. I can assure you that they don't reflect the original Hebrew or the original Greek. And the Bible doesn't tell us that angels sing. Now, I'm not saying that angels don't sing. Let's get that tidied up as well. Don't go out of here saying new theology and angels don't sing. That is not what I am teaching in any shape or form. I know what angels do. I would be very surprised if they don't sing. I would be very surprised if they don't. But you know that phrase that he or she, they sang like an angel. I don't know where that comes from. But it's not really rooted in scripture. I would be surprised if angels don't sing. But here's the point. The Bible never says they do. Because that's your job. And that's my job. And what I want to say this morning is that even if angels do sing, and I'm really emphasizing this because someone will go out and say that I have said something. It happens nearly every week. (laughs) But let me say this to you. Even if they do sing, this is the point I really want to make. They can't sing the song of the redeemed. That's the point. Because Jesus didn't take the form of an angel to redeem angels. But Jesus did come in fashion as a man, as a human being, to redeem you and to redeem me. And that's why it's our job to sing. Because only the redeemed of the Lord can sing that song. Only the redeemed of the Lord can offer that kind of praise to the God of heaven. And the Bible clearly says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord declare it. Let them declare it in their praise to God. Let them declare it in their singing. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And only the redeemed can bring that kind of song. Verse 2 speaks here about singing to the Lord. And the emphasis behind the Hebrew is that we, when, we, when we do bring this kind of a song, that somehow we create some form of habitation like a dwelling place for God. You see, when we come into this building on a Sunday morning and the team begin to sing, this is not a ritual, folks. This is not just getting the service warmed up. Though the Lord knows some of us need a warming up, Okay. But that's not what the praise is. Get us us warmed up. Not at all. That's not what it is. We're coming as the redeemed of the Lord to bring him our praise. To create a habitation for God to come by his presence. And that's everybody's job. Not just the worship team. A place for God to come and settle where he is being exalted where he is being honored, where he is, is being lifted up. And Psalm 22 says, God inhabits, God dwells in the praises of his people. So I want to say to you, sing, lift up your voice. And when the singing comes to an end, if you feel like you want to clap, and you might even want to shout a little, You might want to lift your voice in praise to the God who has forgiven you and me, has blotted out our sin, listen, so that it will never be remembered against us again. That alone is a reason to sing. Not just even what he has done for us, but who he is. He is magnificent. He is glorious. He's full of splendor and glory and excellence and holiness. And he has drawn us into relationship with himself. And we are meant to return our praise and our thanks to him. And I want to say to you, don't let the enemy stop you. Oh, but you say this morning, Pastor, you know, I'm not perfect. I, I, I don't feel that I could offer that kind of praise because, you know, my life could be better. I'm not perfect. Folks, these people weren't perfect either. And in a few days, they're going to feel God again in some miserable ways as you follow this nation for the next quite a number of centuries, actually. But at that moment, the reality of the fact that they were redeemed, they had been delivered and they were set free, overwhelmed them. And they brought an offering to God that was pleasing in his sight. And the Bible, the Holy Spirit records it as the first song of worship placed in Scripture at a strategic moment after the blood was shed and after this demonstration of God's power as a picture to the church that you and I are meant to be praising God. And it's like this all the way through Scripture. When we realize what God has done, the people of God are meant to lift their voice and sing. They're meant to lift their voice and praise God. If you were to go to Isaiah 53, we all know that great passage about redemption. But the very next chapter, Isaiah 54 and verse 1, it says, Sing, O Bar- Break forth into singing and begin to cry aloud unto the God who has redeemed you. Psalm 40, the psalmist says, he brought me up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay. And the very next thing, he put a new song in my mouth, even praise to God. Psalm 147, it's good to sing praise to the Lord. It's fitting. It's comely for the upright. Sing to the Lord, he says, with thanksgiving. So when we look at this, we see the content And we see the timing. But I want you to see just one thing in closing this morning. I want you to see the effect of this song. Because when they begin to sing, a dramatic change begins to take place. And it takes place at verse 14 in the chapter, if you look at it. Because they begin by praising God for the great victory that He has won for them. But as they enter into this praise and they begin to sing unto the Lord, at verse 14, they move from what God has done to what God is going to do for them. They move from the past into the future. They begin to focus upon God for this great deliverance and they flow over into faith and confidence for what God has yet to do for them. And as they sing about the victory God has given them, faith is stirred in their heart and it begins to rise for tomorrow's battles and next week's and next month's battles that still lie ahead of them. I want to say to you, are you sitting in service this morning and you're heavily weighed down or concerned about what's ahead of you this week? If you are, you know what? You need to sing today. That's the point. If there are stuff coming at you, if there's stuff facing you tomorrow or next week, then you need to be singing today. Because as you and I praise God, whether it be privately, individually, or corporately as a congregation, and we create that environment where God dwells, as it were, as he inhabits the praises of his people, we begin to catch a fresh glimpse of God, a fresh vision of God. Faith begins to rise in our hearts. We're reminded that with our God, all things are possible. And you need to be singing today. I need to be singing today. He said, I didn't come to church feeling like I could sing. We'll talk about that in a little moment as we draw to a close. We read in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 about Jehoshaphat. You know the great story as he went out to the battle. He goes out against the enemies of the people of God. Ammon, Moab, and Sir all gathered against the people of God. And he puts the singers and he puts the musicians up front. You've heard it preached on hundreds of times. Then we come to verse 22 of chapter 20, 2 Chronicles. And it says, when they began to sing and praise God, when they began to sing and praise God, the Lord set ambushes. And the enemy began to go down. There's something inspirational about a people who have a song. there's, There's moments in the church It can't be engineered, we can't work it up, it needs to come down. But there are moments in the church when it's appropriate to shout. There are moments in the church when it's appropriate to declare the name of Jesus. There's moments in the church when it's right for the church to arise and just let their praise flow to God. And there's something inspirational about it. We read in passages of scripture in situations that there was a shout of a king amongst them. There was an exciting king in the midst of them. And when the church is in that place and we begin to declare the name of Jesus, there's something inspirational about it. There's something very, very, very powerful about it. And we need to have that song and we need to let that song loose. Having a song. It goes alongside the whole concept or the whole idea of being filled with the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't be drunk with wine wherein there's access, but be being filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual song. There's something about the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will give us a song. He will give us a song to sing. Have you lost your song, Christian? Has life worn you down? Has the enemy beat you into a corner so much that your song has gone? Find your song again and let it loose onto God. It's an inspirational thing, both to your own spirit, but to the other people of God around you. When the people of God start to sing, and when we begin to praise God, I tell you, we are forceful. We are like an army with banners declaring the victory and the power that belongs to us through the one who is at the head of us. His name's Jesus, amen? Oh, I'm excited this morning. But sure, you know, it's the first week back from the holiday, So you'll say, sure, he'll be excited like that anyway. No, we should be excited because he is a great king. And he is a great Lord. And we need to be singing it. We need to be declaring it. Don't lose your song. I wonder, is there someone here this morning and the enemy is beating you down? tell you, if he is beating you down, if he is oppressing you through the circumstances of life or whatever it may be, ask God to help you resurrect your song. And when he's beating you down, you say, okay, enemy, you can do that if you want. But if you're going to be around me, you're going to hear me praising God. And there's something about a Christian who will sing unto the Lord, who will praise God, And the enemy doesn't like that. The enemy cannot stand the spontaneous spirit anointed praise of a congregation of people. Because God is in that space. God inhabits that space. And praise brings a note of victory and a note of release to the people of God. It's inspiring. It lifts up our heart. And we need to find that song personally. And we need to have that song within the church. Something happens amongst us when we sing. We inspire one another. Someone says, you know, I can't sing today. And we're coming to a close with this. I can't sing today. It's been such a terrible week and my life. It's is going through such a terrible season, such a difficult time. Well, there's such a thing as a sacrifice of praise too. Sometimes we come and we say, Lord, I'm going to praise you. But you maybe come into church, and because of where you've been, what you're going through, you say, well, well I can't be exuberant. And you know, the old devil will even tell you, it'd be hypocritical if you, were, if you were bouncing this morning because you didn't have a good week. The devil will use every trick to silence the people of God. But you come in and you say, you know, it's been a terrible week, but here's the point. God was the theme of their song. And this first recorded song of praise in Scripture is supposed to set the note. First mention in the Bible is always very important in Scripture, wherever it gets first mention. And the content was that God was the theme of the song. And when you and I come into church, and listen, I'm not minimizing anything that you have been through as a church or you as an individual. I don't know what you may be facing and vice versa. But one thing I know, when you and I come in to his presence to gather with his people, our circumstances are not meant to be the theme behind our song. God is the theme of our song. And he never changes. And the devil robs so many of God's people right there, I don't feel like I can sing. Because the devil will do anything to keep you from that place of praise. Because praise brings victory. And he is the theme of our song day and night, week after week. And he never changes. No matter what may blow around about us, he remains worthy. Praise his name. If you read Acts chapter 16, the story of Paul and Silas being taken, beaten, and thrown into the inner prison, and they're in stocks, you know the story. I had the privilege a number of years ago of, of going through the archaeological site at Philippi. And some of the things that surrounded this and, and what, a, what an inner cell in one of these prisons might have been like, and I tell you, it wasn't nice. But it tells us in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, listen to this, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and they sang praises unto God. Wow, at midnight. I'm sure the other prisoners loved that. Let's get real about the situation. They were in here with violent men, with soldiers. You can imagine when they begin to pray, that's one thing. Then they begin to sing at midnight. You can imagine the abuse that would have been there in that situation. And the other prisoners, no doubt, would have been listening. But it says in verse 26 that suddenly there was an earthquake. The foundations were shaken. The doors opened and everyone's bands were loosed. That's the power of prayer and praise. But when they began to sing their praises, suddenly there was an earthquake. The foundations were shaken. You know, it's like someone said that heaven's God's throne, earth is his footstool. You probably heard this old adage before. But somehow whenever Paul and Silas, his servants, in that deplorable situation began to sing praise to God, it was as if God began to tap his foot because earth is his foot still. And the very foundations began to shake. The prison's doors flew open and their bands fell off. And Moses said in his song, the Lord is my strength. Not my circumstances, not me, not what I can bring to it. But the Lord is my strength and my song. And there by the seashore they sang their praise to God. As I close, I mention one last thing to leave with you for your consideration. Moses and the children of Israel sang by a seashore when God had exercised his power and brought this deliverance to them. I read in Revelations 15, about another sea. John mentions it. He said it was like a sea of glass. And he says those that were on it were singing. And make no mistake, because this is no coincidence in Scripture, but you know what John says? They were singing. Around the sea of glass and heaven. John actually tells us in Revelation 15 they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the song of the Lamb. Why both of them? Because you see, the experience of the children of Israel mirrors ours. Their experience through all that they came through, coming out of Egypt and into the promised land, into the place of rest, is a prefiguring of our journey and our experience with God. The deliverance that God worked through Moses foreshadowed the deliverance that has been wrought for you and I through the finished work of the cross. It's the continuity of God's saving purposes in both ages, and they mirror each other. And in heaven, John says, they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of the Lord and of the Lamb. And I threw that in in case you think I have made too much of this passage. It's placed in Scripture for a purpose. It's the first song recorded for a purpose. It's placed where it's placed for a specific purpose to mirror to us our experience. And we sing now, but I tell you, there's a day coming when we are going to sing. There's a day coming when the church will lift its voice unbridled, unhindered, when every battle is completely over. And I tell you, we will magnify the king the one who is eternal, the one who is immortal, invisible, the only wise God, when we see him face to face on that day, we will sing. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back. And I want us to close our service in it. Well, it's in some ways the normal way, but maybe at the same time in a slightly different way this morning. Because I want them to, to lead us in a song. And this morning... I'm not looking for an emotional outpouring, but you know what I'm looking to people of God to do? I'm looking the people of God to lift their voice and say, I will declare my praise unto the God of heaven. I will sing to him. If I've been weighed down in this service, I'm going to close this service by giving glory to the one who redeemed me and to the one who saved me. And as they prepare to sing, remember this, we're going to sing up there one day. So you might as well get tuned up now. You might as well start to get free now. And you might as well begin to make preparation for that day because we will sing in his presence. And as they just prepare to lead us, I want to mention some words from some of the Psalms Psalm 95. The psalmist says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms, for the Lord is great. God, the great king above all gods." Psalm 96, the next psalm. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory amongst the nations. Psalm 97, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Psalm 98, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory, and the Lord has made known his salvation. Folks, our God is worthy to be praised. It's not based on our circumstances. And I am excited this morning because of who he is. But I'm also very excited about this season in the church. Campbell mentioned some things, and I'm excited about the progress that has been made. I'm excited about the fact that next Sunday evening, Pip will be welcomed here into the ministry team. And unfortunately, I have to apologize that I can't be here for that. But I'm excited at the end of the month. The DeV is going through his interview, and as Campbell said, unless he has a criminal record, I don't know about, he'll be getting into the ministry. <laughs> And I'm excited about the fact that there will be a service of induction for him onto the ministry team. And I have every confidence and I'm excited about the future appointment of a senior leader for this church. And I believe God spoke to me this morning. When I was out praying and I don't say stuff glibly to mislead or to misguide people. But I believe God gave me a very simple phrase this morning. When I was praying about this service and about the church and it was simply that God wanted to say to you you need to know that your best days are not behind you but I say with absolute constant confidence today that your best days are ahead of you and that's not based on a sermon and it's not based because we have to carry the people of God I'm saying that because I believe God spoke that into my spirit this morning Your best days are not behind you. Believe it or not, your most exciting and your best days lie ahead of you in God. And that's not a statement of faith. It's a statement of confidence this morning because I believe God spoke that into my spirit. Are we going to stand and are we going to praise God? I want you to lift your offering of praise to the Lord this morning as we sing. And when we come to the end of it, if you want to clap, you can clap. If you want to shout, you can shout. The Irish superintendent came into our church. He tried to create some sort of mayhem. Not at all. But praise the Lord, folks. What about the person next to you? Lift your voice and let's magnify. Clap your hands, the Bible says. And shout on to God, a great King above all gods. The blood has been shed. The work is totally complete. And God says, now let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And let them sing.